Hello, and welcome to the New Testament Setting Podcast, brought to you in conjunction with my YouTube channel, Biblically Correct. Today we're going to be tackling the issue of what happened between the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. So there's about 400 years between the last prophet, Malachi writing, and the beginning of the New Testament, or the beginning of the period recorded by the New Testament with Luke and Matthew. So this leaves the question, right? What happens in this period? What takes place? Now, often you'll hear this called the 400 years of silence. But the reality is, is that's not true because there's a lot written in this period. It's just not things that are biblical. But we have a lot written and we have a lot that takes place in this period. So, what happens in this period? Well, the first thing we want to look at is where we left off in our narrative at the end of the Old Testament. So, at the end of the Old Testament, the people of Israel had rebuilt the temple, they had rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, but they were still under the control of the Persian Empire. Now, the Persian Empire controlled a large swath of territory. And Israel was just a small part of that. In fact, it's not even correct to say Israel because at this point we're really thinking of Judah. Because most of Israel, the northern part of Israel, had been scattered. And there's another group of people called the Samaritans um, that really live in that area now, which we'll talk about later. But the the people of Judah have been allowed to go back, rebuild, and make their own kingdom. But they're still under the rule of a governor. They're not really a kingdom. They're more like a province of the Persian Empire. So what happens? Persia is going to rule for a little bit longer. They're going to rule until around the 330s, 320s. And around that period, Alexander the Great is going to invade from Macedonia. Now, you're probably asking, wait a minute, we just skipped a whole lot here. Well, first of all, who's Alexander the Great? Where's Macedonia? Why is there an issue between Persia and Macedonia? Well, the first thing you have to understand is Macedonia is this Greek state that is kind of in the northern part of what we would think of as Greece. They're not one of the Greek city-states we tend to think of. In fact, other Greek city-states kind of looked at them as a backwater. But eventually, this state of Macedon is going to actually take over um, and conquer the other Greek states, creating this unified Macedonian Empire. Now, if you look at Greek history, what you'll see is that the Greeks had this long history of conflict with Persia. In fact, if you've seen movies like uh, The 300, then you have heard of this conflict. That is a conflict between Sparta and Athens with Persia, right? So, there is some long history there. Well, when Philip 
that is Alexander the Great's father, takes over um, Macedonia, he has this view. When he takes over Greece, he has this view. I want to build up forces and attack Persia. They've tried to invade Greece multiple times. We're going to invade them. Philip dies, and Alexander the Great takes over. Well, when Alexander the Great takes over, he is going to lead his armies into Persia, and he is going to prove to be one of the greatest generals in the history of warfare. He's going to employ some new tactics, specifically with cavalry, and these tactics are going to be very effective. He is going to very quickly conquer and destroy the Persian Empire. He's going to take over. Um, he's going to take over uh, Palestine. He's going to take over Egypt. He's going to conquer all of Persia and make it all the way to the borders of India. And what that means is now Israel or Judah specifically is going to be under the control of Greek leaders. Now, Alexander the Great does not live very long. He dies somewhere in his 30s, and his heir is very, very young, is a child. So what ends up happening is some fighting takes place, and ultimately, Alexander the Great's empire is going to be split into multiple parts. Now, there are two parts that are important for our story of the people of Israel and of the setup for the New Testament. There are two parts, and that is the Seleucid Empire, which is really based around the Antioch area, but controls parts of Persia, controls a large territory in Syria, but eventually is going to take over Palestine-Israel area. The other empire is called the Ptolemies. The Ptolemaic Kingdom is just Egypt. So it's Egypt, and for a large portion of history, it controls Judah. Now, what ends up happening with Israel is that the Seleucids and the Ptolemies are going to fight it out for who gets control of this territory of Palestine or Israel. Eventually... The Seleucids are going to win this fight, and they're going to take over. Now, the Seleucids are going to take a different approach than the Ptolemies did. The Ptolemies kind of had this approach of, you know what, uh, you have your practices, we'll allow you to keep doing your different Jewish customs and practices. The Seleucids were going to be a little bit more insistent about enforcing Greek customs. So what you have happen is you start to have Greek culture spread in Judea. And as Greek culture starts to spread in this area, you're going to see this kind of cultural fight between the people who want to maintain Jewish customs like circumcision, like following Yahweh, their God, and serving him alone. And a lot of other customs that come with how you dress, how you eat, how you act, how you make sacrifices, they want to keep these customs. 
But you have the Greek influence, often called the Hellenistic influence, because Greeks call themselves Hellens, the Hellenistic influence, and it's pushing people um, to want to be involved in Greek life, which means they're going to these gymnasiums where they're doing wrestling and other types of social activities that often take place naked, which means people are seeing they're circumcised and then they're kind of being like looked at weird. So all of a sudden you start to see this cultural shift. And these these Jews, not just in Judea, but throughout this part of the world, are starting to be influenced by Greek culture. You see this very distinctly in Alexandria, which is a part of Egypt, that is, it's a Greek city in Egypt in the Ptolemaic Empire. And these Jews start to, they start to translate the Bible into Greek. They start to use Greek as their primary language. And Greek culture becomes a part of and integrated into their Judaism to some degree. And you see this in other places, but Alexandria is one of the great examples of that. Specifically, they're going to translate what we call the Septuagint, which is going to be the primary Bible, the primary Greek translation of the ancient world. And we'll see the Septuagint pop up in the New Testament. All right. So let's move forward with the story a little bit. Here we have uh, the people of Judah, and they are controlled now by the Seleucids in the 2nd century BC. The Seleucids start to push their Greek culture more than just through a cultural, soft influence, and they start to be very forceful with wanting to force Jews not to practice their Judaism. One thing you have happen is you have the king of the Seleucid um, Empire. He comes in. He actually goes to the temple, and he's going to make a sacrifice of pigs on the altar of the temple and ultimately desecrate the temple. Then he's going to pass some laws banning Jews from circumcising their children in his kingdom. And then he's going to send around enforcers to go around and force people to sacrifice to Zeus on an altar. And this is going to lead to a war, a major civil war in Judea. And the name of that civil war is often called the Maccabean Revolt. Now, the person that kicks off this war is a guy named Mattathias. Now, Mattathias, he's not going to live very long after this war starts. He's a priest. Um, He has multiple sons. He is actually going to die fairly quickly. And his sons are going to take over. One of his sons is a guy named Judas Maccabeus. Now, Maccabeus just means the hammer. It's a nickname, Judas the hammer. But that name, Maccabee, Maccabeus, becomes uh, the title that we know this revolt by. In it becomes the, um, the title of the books of the Apocrypha that actually describe these events of this revolt. So this Maccabean revolt, it actually goes through multiple siblings. 
they one dies, another takes over, one dies, yeah, so another takes over, and then eventually his son takes over, and we see it continue. But what we see happen in this revolt is over the course of a couple decades, you see first they're going to conquer the temple, they're going to take over the temple, and they're going to purify the temple. This is actually where you get Hanukkah. That actually refers to them having the oil required to actually go through the purification of the temple since it had been desecrated by the king of the Seleucids. So, as we move forward, we see them get a couple of things. We see them cleanse the temple. Then we're going to see them get some sort of autonomy. You're going to eventually see uh, this family that is leading the revolts become the high priests. And then finally, uh, further on down the road, they're going to actually become not just high priests, but they're going to become actual kings over a kingdom. And the name of this dynasty, the name of this kingdom, is going to be named after that family, which is not the Maccabean family. That's just a nickname, remember? The name of the family is the Hasmoneans. So this is going to be known as the Hasmonean dynasty. And the Hasmonean dynasty is going to last for around 80 or so years. And it's going to be a sta- a fairly stable kingdom. It's even going to expand some where you're going to see Galilee taken over, Samaria taken over, Galilee taken over. And you see some expansion, Idumea taken to the south. You're going to see some expansion happening during this period of the independent Jewish kingdom under the Hasmoneans. Now, this is a big deal. Because think of how this affects the Jewish mindset. They had been controlled by other countries for years. They had been controlled by empires going all the way back to 586 B.C. when the temple was initially destroyed. And now here they are and they have their own kingdom. It seems like it is this blessing from God, like God is doing something big here. But then something happens. Around about the 80s-ish, you start to see a crumbling happen in this empire. And you start to see a split through the 80s and the 70s BC. You start to see a fracturing where different factions are fighting to see who's going to be in charge. And in order to stop this fighting, the Romans are actually going to step in. The Romans, specifically a guy named Pompey the Great. And Pompey, Pompey the Great, what he's going to do is he's going to step in, he's going to take over um, Israel for one of the factions, And he is going to establish it as a Roman uh, protectorate, a Roman state, and specifically a Roman client kingdom. There's going to be some more fighting back and forth. There's going to be uh, invasions, then takeovers, then all kinds of things take place for a little while until finally, in around 38-ish BC, a guy named... Herod is going to be installed by the Romans on the throne of Israel. 
Now, this King Herod, often called Herod the Great, um, is one of many Herods that you'll see in the New Testament. We'll do a separate video explaining who all the different Herods are and how to understand what they're doing there. But Herod the Great, he is a very paranoid, but also very effective leader. And Herod the Great is going to uh, shore up his kingdom. He's going to make sure that it's strong. Now remember, it's a client kingdom. He is able to stay in power because the Romans want him to stay in power. So he's an independent kingdom, but not really. He's ultimately guaranteed to stay in power because he is a client of the Romans. So Herod the Great, he is going to hold on to power for a very long time. And Herod the Great is going to be known for building. He is going to build all kinds of different things. He's going to start a project um, refurbishing the, the temple, that same temple built all the way back in the book of Ezra. Um, he is going to rebuild, he's going to refurbish the temple in a way that looks almost like a rebuild. So it's still the same temple, but it's He's expanding, he's fixing, he's updating, he's doing a lot of work here. So it's pretty much a rebuild over the course of a long period of time. And now Herod does not accept anybody working against him. Herod kills one of his wives, he kills multiple children, he kills some other relatives, all to make sure that he is able to stay in power. And ultimately, he does manage to stay in power till around 4 BC. There's some debate on the specifics of the date, but around 4 BC, um, he is going to die. Now, when Herod dies around 4 BC, his kingdom initially is going to be taken over by his son Archelaus. Now, this is going to be disputed, and ultimately, instead of Archelaus, his son, getting everything, um, what's going to end up happening is Herod's kingdom is going to be split among multiple people. Archelaus, a guy named Antipas, Herod Antipas, and another guy named Herod Philip. So his kingdom is going to be split into three parts. And the main part of Judah, that part, is only going to remain under his son, Archelaus, for a short period of time. And then Archelaus, ultimately, is going to be deemed as being too cruel for the Romans. Now think about that. How cruel do you have to be for the Romans to say, Ooh, buddy, you need to back it up a little bit. Pr pretty bad, right? So Archelaus is actually going to be banished. And the Romans are going to put in a governor who is going to rule the province of Judea directly. So Antipas is going to control Galilee and Perea. And then there's another, Herod Philip. He'll be controlling some areas that don't really matter much for our story. But Herod Antipas will control Galilee and Perea. And you'll see Judea being controlled by a Roman governor. And that's really where the New Testament picks up. The New Testament picks up with the Jewish people 
finally having had a taste of freedom, who then lose that taste of freedom, and now they're controlled by the Romans again. Now imagine how that's impacting their mindset. The Romans took their freedom, are forcing them to pay taxes, are dictating who's going to be in charge of them, and they're supposed to be God's chosen people, yet they're controlled by the Romans. And don't forget, there's still this mindset of a Messiah, the Old Testament, um, we have different glimpses that God's going to send an anointed prophet. He's going to send an anointed one who's going to be, he's the Messiah, and he's going to establish God's kingdom here in Israel. Well, what starts to happen is people start to view that through the lens of kicking out the Romans. So when Jesus comes, and Jesus starts to be identified as the Messiah, the expectation is that he's going to be a military leader who is going to kick the Romans out. But that's not what he does. And that's going to create some of this conflict and some of this, con uh, this confusion that is going to happen when Jesus comes. So that gives you a general idea of what's happening in this period and the history that's happening in this period. Thank you, and I encourage you to please like, subscribe, whatever podcast um, you use, whatever podcast uh, program you use, please go in there, write a review, it really helps out the channel, and just let us know how we're doing. All right, thank you, we'll see you here next time.